Hi everyone, I'm your host, Jaco Selka, and you are listening to Hopefully Sustainable. Each week, I'm going to talk to extraordinary people who are doing extraordinary things to make the world a more sustainable place. My goal is for this episode to leave you feeling hopeful about an idea, a person, or the world in general. Thank you for joining me in this conversation, and all together we can be hopefully sustainable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hopefully Sustainable. I'm super excited to have you here today. I hope that you all had a wonderful Earth Day last week. It was a really fun day for me. I got to host a youth panel, which was a new experience for me, but I left feeling so inspired and hopeful for the future because of all of these amazing youth who are leading the way in the fight against climate change. For today's episode, ever since starting my podcast, I've really wanted to do an episode on sustainability and the intersection with religion. I grew up as a Christian and I've always been really interested in science at the same time. While I believe there is room for you to be a Christian and a believer of science, this narrative persists in today's society, I believe, personally in part due to the political climate, that religious people tend to be more conservative and are therefore against science and sustainability, while more progressive people who support sustainability must be atheist or anti-religion. So, upon finding a course my senior year at the University of Georgia called Christianity and Sustainability, I was super excited to finally learn how, where, why sustainability and religion intersect. To help us bridge the gap between sustainability and for the purposes of today's episode, Christianity, I am bringing on Dr. Jason Roberts. Dr. Roberts is a professor in the Department of Religion at the University of Georgia. He earned a BA in Religion from Ashland University in 2004, an MA in Systematic Theology from Marquette University in 2008, and finally his PhD in Religious Studies from Marquette in 2013, with an emphasis in theological ethics. Dr. Roberts draws from thinkers in a number of Christian traditions to investigate the relationship between theology and the natural sciences. Throughout today's episode, Dr. Roberts is going to tell us all about the class that I got to take my senior year. He is going to make direct connections between biblical teachings and sustainability. He's also going to provide some advice on how ministries can begin to incorporate sustainability moving forward. And finally, I believe that he is going to leave all of you feeling so hopeful about people from various religious backgrounds all coming together to save this gift that we have been given, the earth and all of its beauty. This is a little bit of a longer episode, but I just couldn't cut anything from the conversation because Dr. Roberts is so full of knowledge and If this is a topic that you are interested in at all, I think you will want to hear everything that he has to say. I'm so thankful that Dr. Roberts took the time to come on this podcast and finally fulfill this dream of doing an episode on this topic. So I really hope that you all enjoy. Let's get started. Dr. Roberts, thank you for joining me today on Hopefully Sustainable. Ever since I started this podcast, I have been really excited to do an episode on religion and sustainability. I feel like it's a topic that so many people in the sustainability field are really interested in learning more about. So go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us about who you are. Jaco, thanks for having me on your podcast. Uh, As you mentioned, I'm Dr. Jason Roberts. I'm a senior lecturer in the Department of Religion at the University of Georgia and affiliate faculty with the UGA Sustainability Certificate Program. Uh, The main topics of my research um, and teaching in the Department of Religion include Christianity, uh, Christian theology, and Christian ethics, and uh, especially at the intersections of theology, natural sciences, and and ethics, which of course includes uh, ecological ethics. 
How did you become interested in religion and decide to pursue this as your educational career and now your professional career? Yeah, it was actually kind of by by accident and not anything that I thought I might be doing. And in high school, I told myself, you know, the the, the three things I, I didn't really want to do as part of my career were a lot of reading, a lot of writing, and a lot of public speaking. And that's <laughs> really all that I, I do now, just about. So um, uh, it ca- kind of came about by, by accident. Um, I went to college thinking uh, I might become uh, some sort of, of minister, like a, a youth minister. I even tried some youth ministry in, in the latter years of of college and for a couple years afterward, but um, I, I found that that really for me was not very uh, intellectually or or even spiritually satisfying. And uh, I spoke with some of my uh, professors from my undergrad um, years, and you know they they uh, steered me toward potentially doing an academic career in in religion and theology, and so. Uh, I went to Marquette University, um, got a master's and a doctorate uh, from there, and um, and uh, landed very soon after at the University of Georgia. Wow. So have you been at UGA for your entire professional career so far? Yeah, pretty much. I, I did some adjuncting at Marquette for um, my final year as a PhD student and my first year uh, following. Um, but uh, since then, I have been at the University of Georgia. Being a religion professor, I'm sure a lot of people would not necessarily associate that with the sciences or with sustainability. So when did you first realize that intersection of sustainability and religion or first become interested in sustainability? Yeah, it was kind of a two or three step um, process. Um, in grad school, is really where I realized not only that uh, it was important and actually a good thing to integrate scientific understandings with theological understandings. Uh, Growing up in a fairly conservative household, um, I was almost taught to fear the sciences or, or at least bracket out certain sciences from other sciences and certain sciences uh, and scientific perspectives from my faith perspective, Mm. um, being taught that certain things conflicted with Christian faith, such as an evolutionary perspective. When I realized that that wasn't necessarily the case, you know, I just kind of let it go for a few years. But then in graduate school, I, I realized that, no, if you really take a scientific perspective seriously, it actually, uh, has a great impact on theological perspectives. So for example, if you understand um, the way that the the world works in an an evolutionary perspective and the way that that life uh, originates and proliferates through an evolutionary perspective, then that has a great impact on, uh, from a Christian perspective, how you understand God as creator, if God creates through evolution versus uh, a kind of special creation. it's a, it's a very different perspective. And from there, uh, it sort of ramifies out into all kinds of different um, doctrines. So that became uh, a kind of turning point for me, and my research interests actually went in that direction, where I uh, ended up doing quite a bit of research in Christian anthropology and understanding what it means to be a human being from a theological perspective, but in light of the the picture of human being that is given by the natural sciences, including a Darwinian understanding of human evolution. So with that came then um, my my dissertation director, who is actually um, a theologian who does a lot of work at the intersections of Catholic theology and ecological ethics. Uh, And the connection between science, theology, and ethics, especially ecological ethics, just makes a whole lot of sense. And uh, I've been pursuing that general direction ever, ever since as well. So I had the opportunity to take your class, Christianity and Sustainability, my last semester at UGA. And it was one of the most interesting classes I got to take during my time at UGA. 
as a Catholic and a Christian myself, a lot of times I feel like it's very hard to be a Christian and believe in science at the same time, kind of like you mentioned with your background. Where did you first get the idea for this class and tell all the listeners what the structure of the class is like and what you do with your students? Sure. So the idea for the class actually took uh, took several years. Um, it kind of started when I began to do some work with the sustainability office on campus at UGA. Um, Tira Byers, whom you know well, uh, started a sustainability across the curriculum faculty workshop. Um, I saw the invitation for that during my first year at UGA, and I saw that it said, hey, come um, to a two-day faculty workshop, get, a, get uh, some free food, some <laughs> networking with other faculty, and a, a small grant to help you, you know, um, develop your curriculum. And as a you know junior faculty developing my own uh, uh, curriculum at the time, it seemed like a, a a great a great pick. So I started doing those uh, each year, and uh, each year I would add to an existing class um, aspects of sustainability. And after a few years, I decided instead of just you know adding to an extant course to create um, a course on sustainability and see if it would fit into the um, sustainability certificate program that had recently been uh, created at, at the University of Georgia. And so that's how Christianity and sustainability came about. The way it's basically structured is I, I created it to be an experiential learning course in the area of research. Um, that's not something, that's not the kind of course that we really had on the books in the, in the Department of Religion, and I thought it would be a good idea to start um, developing a course that would help our department reach out in reaching those pedagogical goals of the university. Uh, and it is an interdisciplinary course and cross-listed with sustainability certificate program, so it also uh, connects the Department of Religion to a number of disciplines. Um, and in the two times I've taught the course so far, um, there have been always a couple of religion majors, but just about everybody else in the class uh, comes from various disciplines across, uh, across uh, the university, which has been really great to get all those perspectives in, in the class. The way that it's structured is the first half of the class, really, we get into some texts that first um, define sustainability and resilience in general. Uh, then we get into a book called Inspired Sustainability, Planting Seeds for Action by Erin Lotz Viviano. And uh, she does a really good job of not only connecting uh, Christian, Christian theology and sustainability, but also religion and spirituality in general with sustainability and doing it in a way that appeals um, across religious boundaries as well as across sort of religious and secular boundaries and also showcases her methods in, in doing field research to uh, help, help uh, solidify her her research project and her her hypotheses and conclusions which is a great uh, sort of heuristic device for our my students to understand the research project that we do in the second half of the course so in the second half of the course we um, cover a little bit on some research methods and then we do some field research the first two times so far i've taught the class we have um, surveyed and interviewed local ministers, both campus ministers and uh, Christian ministers in local churches from a diverse set of Christian denominations uh, about the connections between Christianity and sustainability, um, uh, their understandings of sustainability in general, how they perceive um, various barriers to their themselves and their congregations being more sustainable, what sustainable practices they're already doing, etc. And uh, this last time around, we actually also included an element of 
COVID-19 and resilience in Christian ministry in, in the face of the pandemic that we've all been facing over the last year. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. I know when I was at UGA and took your course, obviously we did not have a pandemic. So we all got the opportunity to go to these local churches and speak face to face with the different people at these churches that we got to interview. And obviously churches were one of the institutions that were greatly impacted by the pandemic and had to move services online amongst other responses. So how has COVID-19 affected the class and made it different from the first time you taught it? Yeah, so like all of my classes that I've been teaching over the past year, um, Christianity and sustainability was taught in what UJ has called a high flex hybrid model, which is where I go into the classroom and uh, teach to the live to the students uh, and in person to the students who are able and willing to come to class based on the classroom capacity and people's comfort level. And also at the same time, I'm teaching via Zoom and recording that, uh, that Zoom session for anybody who hasn't made either. Um, so either they're not attending live in person or via Zoom and then they can see uh, the recording uh, later on. So that was very different. Uh, it did make for some difficulty and a need for some extra creativity when it came to actually putting together our, our research apparatus, coming up with uh, survey and interview questions together as a class. Um, but when it actually came to doing the interviews, it, I think, made it easier because both the students and the, the participants uh, in our research had become very used to um, the the medium of, of the Zoom meeting mm -hmm. for for doing these kinds of, of discussions, like we are now. Exactly. <laughs> well, like I said, this was one of the most interesting classes I took at UGA. It's such a unique opportunity to interact with so many different students across all of the different colleges at UGA rather than just the people that you're used to attending classes with. And it's great because it really gives you that foundational knowledge in what sustainability is, and then you get to see how it applies to Christianity. What have been your biggest takeaways from teaching the class so far? Well, some of my biggest takeaways from teaching the class have been that as an upper level interdisciplinary and experiential learning course, I see that students actually bring about as much to the class as they seem to get out of the class. Um, a lot of the students who take the course are in their final years of their coursework at UGA. Oftentimes they are in their majors. You know, so I have business majors, psychology majors, all bringing their own um, their own work to the to the to the class. I have people in the sustainability certificate program sometimes, like like you and others who have quite a bit of background uh, from from those studies. Um, in fact, the first time around, uh, one of my religion majors was also a psychology major, and she was very instrumental in helping me to become familiar with um, the software that we used for. Uh, performing our survey. And so, you know, she helped kind of make me a, somewhat of an expert in, in, in Qualtrics so that the <laughs> next time around, you know, I seemed like a pro at it when, uh, when I did the class the second time. So that was, that was really helpful to get um, the, the help from the students who had already done field research, which is actually something that's fairly new to me. Well, as I mentioned, a lot of people in the sustainability field are very interested in this intersection with religion and specifically Christianity. So I wanted to dive into a discussion around some of the specifics that I got to learn in your class and answer a lot of the common questions that I think a lot of people who consider themselves to be sustainable but also Christians deal with. So there are a lot of Christians who claim that we just shouldn't have to worry about climate change because in the end, Jesus is going to take care of everything when he returns. So I wanted to get your response to that and 
kind of pick your brain about why that has become the focus or the main argument from Christians who kind of go against sustainability or don't want to believe that that's a part of their belief system? Sure. Um, that There's lots of ways to, to really re- respond to, to that perspective. The good news is, I think, is that not all Christians have necessarily that perspective. That's not necessarily the thing that's holding everybody back. But it is a fairly popular perspective, especially here um, in the in the United States, where the understanding in, in many uh, Christian communities, uh, especially the more evangelical and conservative Christian communities, is that salvation all comes from the outside. Um, it all comes uh, from, from God, and we're not necessarily meant to be cooperators in that, or or that um, salvation is about human beings or human souls going to heaven. And so what happens to the, to the uh, earth and its creatures that aren't humans uh, doesn't matter as much. Um, again, I see good news and, and uh, hope even in the fact that that is not a universal perspective in Christianity. But to those who do have that perspective, I might say something like, well... Christians have had that kind of expectation, you know, that Jesus is coming this weekend, you know, for about the last 2,000 years. Uh, and I don't see any reason uh, to, th- to think that Jesus' return is any more or less likely to happen tomorrow uh, than 20 years from now, than another 2,000 years from now. There's an old uh, Jewish proverb uh, that I think is applicable, and and I, I'm probably butchering this, but it goes something like, you know, if if you're about to buy a piece of land, and somebody tells you that Messiah has come, go buy the piece of land, and then go see about whether the Messiah has come or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other another thing I might say to those people is, if you have no more knowledge that Jesus is coming very soon than not very soon, then you should treat God's creation accordingly. Um, especially since it's your kids, your friends' kids, your grandkids, maybe their grandkids, and so on, who are going to be inheriting the earth that, uh, that you leave behind. Um, it's, this earth is our home. It's a gift handed down to us from the past and which we have the responsibility to hand on to the next generation. And so I say we should try to improve it rather than degrade it in the, in the process. That's one of the responses I feel like I think of a lot of times is that if the earth is a gift to us, if someone, a family member or a friend gives you a gift, you're not going to disrespect it. So why are we going to choose to disrespect the one gift, the biggest gift that we got from God. So I think that's a really interesting response. And a lot of people always ask how to have these conversations with people who don't have the similar beliefs or the similar belief system that you do. So do you have any advice on how Christians or even non-Christians can have these conversations around the intersection of sustainability in Christianity? Sure. Well, first I'd add one thing to um, uh, that notion of the earth being a gift to us, Um, especially uh, those who would be of the mindset that we've been just discussing, the the more conservative and and biblically minded Christians. I think one good thing to to really um, use is the tools that they're used to using, which is uh, by and large the scriptures. And with that notion of the earth being a gift, oh, of course it is definitely a gift to us. But if you look at the language of, of Genesis 1 and, and, and following, the earth is a gift to all the creatures of the earth. Mm-hmm. And it's a gift given to them before it's, it's given to human beings. And it is pronounced good by the creator um, each day prior to and apart from the creation of human beings. So the earth is pronounced good when all that's on it is land and water and sky. The earth is pronounced good when 
It's just the sea creatures swimming around. It's pronounced good uh, when there's also you know life on on land, the plants, and then the birds and the and the land animals. Um, and then it is also very good when when human beings are around, and they're given a special responsibility to to treat it the way God has been treating it throughout, uh, making sure that it's good and uh, that it is 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 let to to be fruitful and and to be fecund. So when it comes to broaching these kinds of these kinds of conversations with Christians and and people of other faith traditions. Um, I think the first thing to do would be to say um, that there are reasons in every faith tradition and in every sort of uh, sect or denomination of every faith tradition to work toward what we would call sustainability. Uh, especially ecological sustainability. Now, it might come under other names that are more palatable in that uh, particular tradition. Um, some might like the, the term stewardship or care for creation or creation care. Um, but from there, I, I, would, I would say, you know, even if, even if you don't know where in their tradition it exists, um, you can say, I know that there are people in your faith tradition that do this. You know, I'm willing to look with you to try to find those who, who care about this um, as much as I do. Um, uh, just so that they, they can have, have, have reasons to, um, to uh, understand the importance of, of viewing the, from a Christian perspective, viewing the earth as creation, for example rather than just a kind of, you know, cache of resources that are, that are put here for us to exploit. You mentioned stewardship. Can you talk about what it means to be a steward of the world that God created? Sure. This is um, a popular theme, um, especially among many more conservative denominations uh, in Christianity, uh, both evangelical as well as um, uh, you see it in Catholicism as well, the theme of stewardship uh, being used. I actually um, don't like the term stewardship very much. It does a lot of good, but it, there's also some aspects of the, or connotations around the concept of stewardship that uh, kind of rub me the wrong way. Um, so, the reason being is that the word stewardship to me kind of implies the management of a resource or even a commodity, right? That this is something that um, is an object to be to be managed or controlled um, and and simply used. Where there is plenty, uh, we could talk about the you know the creation in ways that. Um, we're not necessarily meant to be stewards of, of the creation because uh, we're not necessarily meant to interfere with, uh, with, with all of it, right? So I think it might be good to say that we're stewards of our own actions mm -hmm. uh, and our own attitudes. Uh, but I think that the attitude that human beings ought to have with the creation, especially if you look at the language of Genesis, where it says in Genesis 1 that humans bear the image of their creator and that they're blessed to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Um, when it comes to that, you know, I look at the, the way that God had been filling the earth and ruling over it throughout uh, the verses before that which is to when he says, let there be, and there was, and it was good, right? So in, in many aspects of our interaction with the creation, I think we need to have more of an attitude of letting there be. Now, because the, there is really no environment on earth anymore that we can say is completely untouched by the um, the effects of, of human technological civilization. Mm -hmm. I guess you can say that in a de facto way, we are stewards of the earth. I don't necessarily think that that's the best model that to always have. Um, I, but I do think terms like stewardship do work. Creation care certainly works. 
Um, uh, I, I kind of actually like that a little bit better. Um, but yeah, stewardship can be a, a fruitful concept for understanding our relationship to the world. Um, it's certainly better than simply an unfettered view of human beings' relationship to the world as one of dominion, which uh, certainly is found in the, in, the, in the language of Genesis 1. Um, but it's also important to interpret that language in context, where, you know, 2,500 plus years ago when those, when those words were being written and heard for the first time, it was by a sort of a, a persecuted, um, exiled society uh, who had very little wherewithal to, to really carve their own social uh, niche in the world at that time. So uh, fill the earth and subdue it was more a kind of prophetic uh, hope against hope that the meek will inherit the earth. Whereas today, um, it's unfortunate that we read those same words in light of our literal ability to fill the earth, perhaps overfill the earth with our, with our own species and to truly subdue it, its creatures uh, to the point of, of their extinction and the rapid and devastating loss of biodiversity. Uh, it's a completely different context in which we read those words today. And so it's important, that would be another thing I would, I would um, advise, uh, is to make sure that they, they read those kinds of things in context and understand our, our own moral context today and how those words might be read anew in that context. That's a really important point to make. And you mentioned dominion, which actually leads into one of the questions that I had. My roomie is vegan, and I know in the sustainability movement right now, veganism, vegetarianism is a huge way that people think you can lessen your impact on the environment. But a lot of animal rights activists take issue with the fact that in the Bible, and correct me if I'm wrong, it states we have dominion over animals. So how do we accept that power but not abuse it at the same time? Yeah, it's it's interesting. The early the early verses of the Bible and and various uh, verses throughout the Torah, the first five books of of the Jewish and Christian scriptures, are kind of ambivalent about humans eating meat. Uh, in Genesis chapter one verse thirty, it says that the plants all plants have been given to us for eating. And that, that uh, basic statement is, is repeated also in the, in the much earlier biblical creation narrative that, that makes up Genesis chapter 2 and following. And the first explicit mention uh, that humans are allowed to eat meat under certain conditions is in Genesis chapter 9, after the flood narrative. Um, but only if you treat the animal in a certain specific way, um, which has been interpreted over the, the eons uh, in, in Judaism as, you know, um, uh, respecting the animal in, in terms of, of, of slaughtering it in a way that um, is humane. Um, there are verses, in, especially in, uh, in Leviticus, about um, the, the, tr the treatment of animals and the, that the Sabbath rest, the weekly Sabbath rest, extends to livestock uh, and, and work animals. Um, uh, so, you know, even when it comes to the raising of animals, you know, the, the idea of industrial farming obviously was not on the, on the radar of the biblical writers, but I'm, I'm sure, um, the biblical writers would be horrified by the conditions that animals are kept in. And I think you can see an extension of that in, um, in the kinds of, of things that a, a true kosher raising a raising and slaughtering of animals would uh, would include but yes it is it is true that um, the Bible allows human beings to eat meat but again it's kind of ambivalent on it um, it's it's there is a a kind of sacred and uh, place given to the the people who who shed the blood of animals um, for the purpose of, of meat for consumption or in the ancient world, the, uh, the meat for the sacrifices. Um, and that the animal should be drained of all its blood before it is, it is cooked and consumed. 
And I think that's even um, has to do, I would have to, to go to a biblical scholar with more, uh, with more experience than I to, to, to maybe get a confirmation on this. But it says in the, those ancient scriptures that um, the, the life of an animal is its blood. And so it seems like with the mandate to drain the blood completely from, from the meat, that basically you're turning the animal into as close as you can to a plant mm. as, as you can, as close as you can to a, something that, that never was, was breathing um, um, because of that sort of ambivalence of taking the life of something that, that has blood pumping in it um, and that breathes. Um, I, I have a great deal of respect for, for, for people who, who have religions, religious reasons to, to go vegan. Um, um, I also have respect for those who have religions, reasons to, um, to remain omnivores. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think that, uh, there are certainly principles for the humane treatment of animals, both before they're slaughtered and when they're slaughtered, um, when it, when it comes to the Jewish and Christian scriptures. And that's confirmed in Christ, in Christianity as well in, um, Acts chapter 15, when it talks about um, the conditions under which uh, converts to Christianity uh, should should eat meat and, and, and how it's prepared. That's super interesting. And I know in the sustainability community, I guess you could say there's a lot of arguments around veganism and vegetarianism. Some people believe the only way you can be perfectly sustainable is if you're a vegan. And lately I've seen a lot of conversation around the opposite in that we have to respect everyone's different belief systems because like you mentioned, some religions encourage the eating of animal products and that might be part of someone's belief system. So that doesn't mean they can't also be a part of the sustainability movement. So it's really interesting to hear all the different perspectives that you just mentioned. Yeah, and in in some ways, um, including with wild animals, it's it might almost be difficult at this point in in history not to uh, not to kill some wild animals. I know that seems controversial, but uh, you know I'm a I'm a sportsman. I mainly um, I like to I like to go fishing. Um, I mainly do catch and release, and and I do I do keep some some of the the fish that I. Uh, that I catch, um, but I know people who are hunters, and I know a little about hunting, though though I've never been a hunter myself. And partly because of you know the the way that our cities and suburbs have encroached on wild lands, there is often a surplus of certain animal species, um, such as you know in deer. Deer in certain states um, are are overpopulated. And that partly has to do with the fact that we have um, mismanaged the, the natural predators of those, of those animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of those natural predators can't, can't adapt to human environments as easily uh, as uh, those prey animals like, uh, like deer and, and others. And so the management of those species in those contexts um, is, is sometimes, sometimes important. So um, it 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 so many people argue that um, in those contexts where there's an abundance of, of a particular animal species, it's it's helpful for the it's actually healthy for the population to. Um, I know it might sound sound cr- cruel and 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 a bit callous, but to sort of thin the herd or call call the herd to harvest certain animals so that. Um, that various diseases don't crop up in those in those populations, which actually is a greater hardship on the individual animals and the population as a whole in some of those contexts. Yeah, there's so many different moving parts at play in this conversation. So it's really interesting to think about all of the different parts that are involved in deciding what we eat and what we don't eat. Yeah, it's certainly not a simple or a black and white issue. Mm -hmm, Definitely. So one takeaway from your class that I think a lot of people who listening to this episode who come from maybe more of a sustainability background will find interesting was in the class you taught about the relationship between the 
Abrahamic covenant and the triple bottom line. And I found this extremely interesting when we talked about it in your class. So I wanted to ask you to talk about it today. And since listeners might be coming from all different backgrounds, can you explain what the triple bottom line is first and then how that connects to the Abrahamic covenant? Sure. Um, so the triple bottom line of sustainability is is typically listed as, you know, the the intersections of the spheres of ecology, of society, and the economy, and how these sort of interrel- interrelated or even nested spheres of, of interactions um, relate to one another. Um, and I discovered in in looking at the some of the main concepts that come through notions of of wholesomeness or redemption uh, and covenant in the Abrahamic faiths, particularly in Judaism and Christianity, you have the basic uh, outlines of that triple bottom line in the covenant that is made between God and Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. So in Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abraham and says, go to the place I'll show you. And I promise that, you know, if you, if you do that, that you will have land descendants and you will be blessed and you will be a blessing to others. And that roughly correlates um, to the triple bottom line, um, which can sometimes be sort of listed as something like uh, planet people prosperity or planet people profit or um, ecology, society, economy, or, or sorry, uh, ecology, yes, ecology, society, economy. Um, and so that there's a rough correlation there, and I bring this out in, in a work in progress that should come out uh, later this year, actually, in a, in a, in a book. Um, but it just goes to show that although I have no uh, delusions about biblical writers, you know, prophesying that the triple bottom line of sustainability would one day, you know, be, <laughs> be, uh, be invented, and, and so they can take credit for it. But it just stands to reason that the things that amount to to human fulfillment are the same in every single society throughout all time. So it stands to reason that the benefits of a positive relationship between people and God, between one another in society, and between people and the environment which sustains them, um, that those aspects uh, or spheres of interaction, as you might call them, the ecology on which society depends, on which that society's economy depends, um, would be the same. And that the health of those spheres of interaction would be signs of well-being, of redemption, of salvation, um, and God's blessing in any and all time periods. It's really amazing to see those connections made between religion and sustainability. To zoom out a little bit, as a Catholic myself, like I mentioned earlier, it's been really hopeful and exciting to see Pope Francis be outspoken about climate change, and he released Laudato Si. For any listeners who are not aware, can you talk about who St. Francis was and why Pope Francis maybe picked that name and how that relates to his environmental activism and why it's so important for major leaders like Pope Francis to be a part of this conversation around climate change. St. Francis of Assisi um, was a 12th and 3rd century Italian friar, mystic, and preacher. Uh, He created religious orders for both men and women. um, And one of the reasons why he's so important to, to this discussion is that he emphasized in his in his life and, and his preaching the presence of God in nature. Uh, and he praised uh, the natural world for its ability to reflect God's glory and its and that it was a reflection of God's care for human beings and and all creatures. And he was even known to to preach among and to the animals, um, uh, you know, of the of the countryside uh, around him, um, you know, he has his his famous canticle where he talks about 
his, his brothers and sister animals in, in the creation. And, and for this reason, um, it was in 1979 that Pope John Paul II, um, uh, fairly early in his, in his reign as Pope at that time, uh, named Francis of Assisi the patron saint of ecology. Um, so you already see a sign there uh, in the early reign of Pope John Paul II, a, an explicit connection of, of the Catholic faith and uh, the Catholic magisterium to the importance of, of, environment, uh, of the environment environmental ethics. This only increased over uh, Pope John Paul II's reign. Um, his, his World Day of Peace address in, in, in 1990 certainly reflects that. Um, his successor, Pope Benedict, uh, continued that. And in, in fact, uh, Pope Benedict, um, under his papal name, wrote a book called The Environment. And he was even uh, known by some as, as the Green Pope or the first Green Pope. Hmm. Um, that is actually less well known, um, uh, that, 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 uh, that Pope Benedict uh, XVI was was uh, quite an advocate for, for environmental care. But then of course there's, there's Pope Francis who has, uh, in picking the name Francis, uh, being the, the, the first to do so, um, and, and taking that namesake of Francis of Assisi, basically signaled from the moment of, of his papacy that, that, the, that ecology was going to be an important part of his uh, papal his papal reign and his his emphasis, and when he came out with Laudato Si, um, it was apparent that he was incorporating uh, principles of sustainability and even the triple bottom line. So if you look at the chapter on on an integral ecology, he explicitly mentions uh, economy, society, and ecology, with a kind of that nested model where uh, society sort of is is the context of the economy. Um, and its health and uh, ecology is is really the foundation on which the health of both society and economy are built. And you can't have a uh, healthy or just e a society and economy without um, the health of, of the global ecology. Even with these bold statements by Pope Francis, I know a lot of ministries still face barriers when it comes to focusing on sustainability what do you think moving forward, what are the biggest barriers that ministries face when it comes to sustainability? And just in your opinion, how do you think church leaders can begin to incorporate sustainability? I think that in, in our country, in the United States of America, the biggest barrier to the connection of Christianity to sustainability or environmental activism is the political framing of of the of the whole concept um so basically if if you or your listeners know anything about the disparity or dichotomy between you know more conservative and more progressive people who are you know on the political spectrum more conservative and, prog and progressive people they basically correlate to christianity as well mm -hmm. where um Conservative evangelicals are shown over and over again in, in, in research to align very much with the Republican Party and its, and its platform. Um, and so where that remains a very influential aspect or, or, or segment of, of the American Christian populace, um, because of that political framing of environmentalism or sustainability as part of a kind of liberal agenda of um, you know value, valuing the world more than than human beings and their comfort and their prosperity um, that it gets sort of uh, sort of taken in to that whole umbrella of, uh, of issues um, especially since the other side is viewed as um, uh, being sort of anti or anti-religious or atheistic in its in its ways of, of understanding things, or that somehow they, you know, equate the the value of individual animals and even plants as much as human beings 
right? Mm -hmm. So all of these kind of uh, hyperbolic and and misinformed um, perspectives get taken up in the understanding of of sustainability and its ability to be connected with uh, with Christianity. So. As far as trying to overcome that, I think it is really the job of, of people trying to broach that conversation to reframe the issues. Um, reframe it not as a conservative versus liberal thing, um, but uh, and maybe even change the, uh, the terminology of sustainability and environmentalism to include descriptors that people of religious faith can latch onto, such as uh, environmental stewardship or creation care, for example. Um, and uh, when it comes to framing it in a way that doesn't make it into a political issue, you know, talk about this as a moral issue. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's not about politics. It's about the morality of it, about caring for for creation for creatures and the people who depend on them uh, and who are interdependent with, with the natural world. Uh, and also a spiritual issue. Um, there is no denomination in Christianity that does not hold that the world that God created is the place where we interact with God. Um, where you know the, the the Christian doctrine of the incarnation emphasizes that to a greater extent than really any other religion that I know of, that the Creator of all has actually stepped into creaturely form to interact with us. You know, think about uh, you know maybe ask them think about what if what if Jesus were born in uh, Flint, Michigan, in in the in the twenty teens instead of you know, Bethlehem all those years ago, right? Mm -hmm. You know, what if, what if uh, God made flesh had gotten uh, brain damage from, from drinking lead-tainted water as, as an infant, right? Those are the kinds of things that might help to, to make those connections. Wow, those are really impactful images to think of. And it kind of reminds me of what we talked about earlier, where nothing is so black and white. Not all liberals are anti-religion and not all conservatives are against sustainability. So I'm really hopeful that moving forward, we can all come together and just look at this as a moral issue, like you mentioned, rather than a political one. I think another barrier uh, as well um, is that, and this is more of an omission rather than a, a commission, is that Sustainability, and especially environmental sustainability, can seem very divorced from the direct care of persons. And therefore, it doesn't seem to be a priority in Christian ministries. Historically, um, you know, religion is about the, the physical and spiritual care of human beings. And so to incorporate uh, intentionally the, the care of the environment, um, the direct care of the environment that doesn't directly involve uh, the interaction between two or more people, right? Uh, there isn't as much of a precedent for that in, in Christianity. Uh, so I think that's an, uh, another barrier is just to make it okay to spend time and money even on, on, on things that just benefit nature directly, even though they, of course, will benefit human beings, at least indirectly. Mm. Yeah, I think a lot of people are, you know, very focused on ourselves in the society that we live in today. So if we have to appeal to people that way in the end, whether you're investing directly in people or in something that benefits the environment, it all comes full circle because everything is so connected. And the next question I had for you is actually just a personal one that I've always wanted an answer to. Mm -hmm. And when I'm engaging in conversations around sustainability with people who might not have the same belief system as me, 
I always wish that I could just pull out a few Bible verses to back up my belief system. So I know this is a very broad question, but are there any specific Bible verses that you can think of that help get up, get across the point of sustainability? Yeah, I think that's that's a little uh, tough because a you know there there wasn't a a global ecological crisis uh, you know uh, three thousand to two thousand years ago that we had caused so. The issue uh, the, of, of having to incorporate sustainability into our daily lives was not really a topic that biblical writers would have, have um, been thinking about. But there are certainly principles that can be found in Jewish and Christian scriptures that can be applied to um, the, the topic of sustainability. Uh, I mean, Genesis 1, of course, that, that first uh, chapter of Genesis is, I think, an important one. Um, I, I often point out that if you look at the, the first days of creation, um, God pronounces creation and, and various creatures good and, and valuable prior to and apart from the advent of human beings on earth, right? So, God delights in the creation, even without direct, um, without direct relation to human beings' place in it. And I think that's that's important. That's seen in Genesis one. It's seen in other places, such as um, uh, in the in the poetic chapters toward the end of of Job, for example. You see that as well, where there's praise for the wildness of the creation that God has made. I would also say that the great commandments are very easily uh, applied to sustainability, where Jesus in the Gospels says, you know, that th that you love the Lord your God with your whole being and your neighbor as yourself. Um, you can't love your neighbor as yourself if you degrade the environment on which they live. Mm. And it's I think that's made even more true by the fact that those who are most dependent on, uh, direct, most directly dependent on the natural environment are the global poor. And in all Christian uh, traditions, there is a special attention paid to uh, meeting the needs of the most poor and vulnerable first and foremost. And so um, environmental sustainability is a requirement of fulfilling that great commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's even without extending that concept of neighbor beyond human beings, which I think is possible also. That's such a great point because the effects of climate change, unfortunately, are felt most deeply or most intensely by the people who have not even contributed to the effects of climate change. So if we are supposed to take care of the global poor, these are the people that are being impacted the most by climate change. So that's a really interesting connection to make. And I know in today's conversation, we have really focused on Christianity, but I'm sure there are people listening who are of other faith backgrounds. From your experience in education, are other religions more prone or more open to care about the environment or are they all kind of in the same situation of trying to work out what that intersection is? And I know that's a huge question. <laughs> yeah, it is a huge question and it certainly goes beyond my expertise. I'm, I'm certainly not a world religion scholar, <laughs> but um, in thinking about this question, I think there might be some, some principles that might be helpful. Um, in that I, th I think every religion has principles that can be applied to, uh, to sustainability. Uh, I think maybe it would, might be easier in some traditions than others. So for example, in the, in the textbook I, I mentioned earlier for our sustainability, Christianity and sustainability class, she talks about the Buddhist concept of interexistence. Right, that, is, that is a concept that, that relates very, very readily to sustainability and the notion of uh, maintaining 
uh, healthy relationships among the spheres of ecology, uh, society, and e economy. Right? You have concepts of karma, for example, um, and in indigenous religions uh, all over the world, uh, because of that direct connection to the land and water, you're going to have um, sustainability baked into those traditions from the get-go. So, so really, I think that it's, it's not so much um, any particular religion. It's are the, are the practitioners and the communities practicing those religions connected directly to their dependence on and interdependence with the land, the creatures, the water that surrounds them? Or have they, because um, they have uh, been part of, of modern industrialization, become more and more and more divorced from that uh, dependence and interdependence? So I, I think that really the dependence and interdependence vis-a-vis uh, -vis the land and water around or, and air around you um, probably has more to do with the, with the ability to connect religious practice and doctrine to sustainability than any um, sort of uh, your scriptures or anything uh, that is part of that tradition. As we come to the end of the episode here, I wanted to turn the tables a little bit. I actually mm -hmm. pulled this question from our notes. I believe it was a discussion question that we had to answer. So I wanted to turn it around and get your answer. Sure. So in your view, are there religious grounds for saying people must act to protect the environment? In other words, is changing to a sustainable lifestyle an optional expression of one's personal spirituality or a moral claim on everyone? And I think that kind of concludes everything that we have covered today. Yeah, well, I would say um, that you can relate this to the idea of what in in the Roman Catholic moral tradition and social tradition is known as the preferential option for the poor. And what's interesting about that word option is that it has nothing to do with it being optional. It's the idea that one must opt in this, in this direction um, out of, uh, out of an a sense of obligation, a sense of, of urgency, a sense of, of what that religious uh, and moral practices is all about. So I would say that that principle applies directly to um, sustainability, partly because uh, opting to be sustainable is part and parcel of the preferential option for the global poor. And also more directly, as, as Pope Francis says in Laudato Si, that, um, and I paraphrase here, uh, the earth, our sister and mother, barren and laid waste, is among the most um, uh, the most maltreated of our poor. So personifying uh, the earth in that way um, and talking about the intrinsic, not just instrumental value of the earth as God's creation is 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 uh, part of this, as well as you know um, verses like. Uh, or passages like Psalm 24, which say that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the land and all that dwells in it. I mean, it's not ours. Um, it's, it's a gift in trust um, that I don't think we've necessarily as a species, especially for the last couple hundred years, been treating very well. Uh, and I think our religious traditions, our interpretations of, of our scriptures, uh, need to catch up to this new ecological context that has been uh, created by uh, our industrialization and and the the technology our technological society that that has emerged over the past couple centuries. Climate change can be a very dark topic, and as we've mentioned throughout the episode today, there's so many different conversations around sustainability when it comes to religion. So I wanted to ask for the last question, what you are hopeful about? Well, I, I thought it was funny when you, uh, when you told me that the name of your podcast being Hopefully Sustainable. I didn't know if there was an, an, an intentional pun there <laughs> where, um, you know, Hopefully Sustainable can, 
can mean, you know, you're, you're pursuing sustainability with hopefulness. But there's also a sort of tinge of we're hopefully sustainable, right? <laughs> yeah, like, you're the first person to point that out. Yeah. Um, so I kind of feel the same way um, that sometimes I look out and I say, you know what? There's not a whole lot to be hopeful about. But then, you know, I have students in my sustainability class who turn around and, and make these podcasts and then invite me to be on them. And, <laughs> and uh, I see also, you know, the people who are interested in that course are largely interested because they um, have been raised in a Christian environment and they desperately want to make the connection between what they know is right on, on the one hand from a faith perspective and what they know is right on the other hand from uh, an environmental perspective. And the fact that they've never seen that connection explicitly made, they're, they're longing for uh, the ability to make that connection. Um, I think that they, and I'm also finding hope in the fact that they don't necessarily need my class to do so. They're finding these resources on their on their own. Um, I'm also especially hopeful that I see uh, all over uh, the world and and in the United States uh, Christians of all traditions beginning to uh see the the urgency of our environmental situation to begin to try to decouple in in america especially decouple the language of creation care and uh, environmental stewardship from its its political uh framing and putting it into a more of a moral and spiritual framing and i think another thing to be hopeful about is that i get my uh my second covid shot tomorrow so, you Yay. know, um, I know we didn't touch on it very, very uh, much, but, um, you know, when it comes to social and economic sustainability, as well as making environmental sustainability a priority, um, both in general and in Christian ministries, um, it's going to help if we can, you know, sort of get back to normal um, uh, and begin to uh, interact with one another and start to uh, do, the, do this kind of work together. Well, good luck with your second shot. I also get my second one this week. So that is giving me a lot of hope and excitement for this week. And I just want to say I'm so thankful that there is a class out there that you are teaching like this. And I hope that this episode can provide a lot of knowledge and information for people. As I mentioned, this is a topic that I hear so many people talk about that they want to learn more about, and it's just such an interesting topic to think about with the intersection of sustainability and religion. So I appreciate you taking the time being on the podcast today and sharing all of your knowledge with us. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you want to learn more about today's guest or just say hello, check out the show notes and find us on Instagram at hopefully sustainable pod. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. As you finish this episode, remember that we are all on a personal journey to make the world a better place, but it's all about progress, not perfection. Until next time, stay hopeful and stay sustainable.